Welcome to episode 82 of the Half Point Per Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Riggs, joined as always by my co-host, Dalton Willie, and our producer, Johnny Pham. Guys, that was that was sure a week one to remember this weekend for a lot of just real football reasons to start off with. We have one tie, another almost tie, where I think there were probably like four missed kicks in the last 15 minutes and 10 seconds of of that game. It, it was a lot to take in in week one, and we're here to break it all down from a fantasy perspective. Dalton, how are you doing after just a, a whirlwind of a week one? Uh, all my bets <clears throat> on the early game slate missed, so that was a great start to my week one. Um, in fact, Thursday night, my boy Alan Robinson did – his best Chicago Bears impression and really just didn't care to be on the field. And Cooper Cup decided to uh, just take over that game. No, no, no. Allen Robinson was on the field. Correct. Process <laughs> is still there. Maybe Allen Robinson will come back around. Um, and I'm going to be honest, that noon slate was kind of miserable to watch for a while. And then the, the 3 o'clock slate was just blowouts. And it kind of wasn't the most fun, but I'm glad it fell back. Johnny, I'm not sure what happened to your audio between before pod and now. You were you were very loud just there, so uh, something something to monitor. But yeah, I'm obviously with you, Dalton. Um, that noon slate went from like a three to a nine e- extremely quickly, and you know what? Let's just jump right into the fantasy stuff this week. And where I want to start is probably one of the most boring games of of the weekend. The Vikings and Packers just ho-hum. Vikings totally kicking their butt. Um, feel vindicated that the the HPPP parlay that never makes it past Thursday night at least had Vikings plus one. We at least had that going for us. Uh, well, Pack- go ahead. I was just going to say, you got that early too. That ended up being uh, Green Bay plus one and a half by kickoff. So Oh, wow. We were we were ahead of the Sharps on that one, or at least the HPP parlay by you was. So well, I'd like to think I set the market on on the Vikings then. Uh so the Packers looked like crap, kind of becoming a week one tradition for for this group. And I think where I want to start, I don't really have much of an interest in breaking down the receivers because there was no Alan Lazard. Uh, poor Christian Watson could have had an unbelievable debut and it was pretty terrible because of his drop. But Dalton, we have an AJ Dillon, Aaron Jones situation, at least developing enough to where I've seen real people tweet about it on fantasy football, Twitter. Do you believe that AJ Dillon has supplanted Aaron Jones as the top fantasy running back in this backfield after one week? This is a tough one for me. Um, for a lot of reasons, starting off with some preseason takes I may or may not have had. Um, loved both these guys, and I did say that I think both of them will end the season as top 12 backs as a wild take. I still think that's the situation. If you watched that game, I think you come away saying they need to run more 12 and 21 personnel and keep these wide receivers off the field as much as possible. Um, because, I mean, like you said, that Christian Watson touchdown – that he dropped probably hurt them a lot. And then the Romeo dubs pick probably hurt them a lot. And I think this team is going to lean heavier on their best playmakers. 
and AJ Dillon certainly looked like one of them. Um, I am more than happy to say that AJ Dillon has supplanted Aaron Jones in the backfield, but I don't think that that's like going to tank Aaron Jones value. I think that both of these are going to be the most valuable fantasy pieces by a mile in this offense going forward. Um, that would be my take. So wait, so are you saying AJ Dillon, if you had to rank them, you'd rank AJ Dillon higher than Aaron Jones rest of season just right now? No, I'm not ready to go that okay, far. Okay. But if I were to rank them weekly, uh, I mean, both deserve to be in the top 15, I would say. Mm-hmm. And I don't and, think. And and that's kind of my take too, is I, I don't quite believe it yet. I really want to, because I came really close to just having that be a hot take of mine before the season that Dylan finished higher than, than Jones this season. Um 10 carries and a t- the, the more concerning thing from an Aaron Jones perspective is Dylan got a team high five targets, which it's kind of crazy that five is the team high for the Packers with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback this week. But that's a, a story for another day. Uh, the actual raw snaps were 51 AJ Dillon, 61 Aaron Jones. So Aaron Jones was still on the field plenty, but he only got five carries, three targets, and I think it was either two or three receptions. I think it was like 23 targets between the two of them. Lafleur's already said today that that the, the box score is telling me that I did a terrible job of getting my best players the ball, basically, and I'd agree with that. Um, I just want to be careful with jumping full bore on the A.J. Dillon is greater than Aaron Jones after one week because it would have been a bad look for you by season's end to jump to too many week one conclusions about the Packers the last couple of years. Was it that Bucks game? It wasn't week one, but it was like week two or week three in the season before last. Like they, they've had yeah. some some early season stinkers. And this is a team that without Lazard, they're, they're already thin and young at receiver. They don't have Alan Lazard. I just think it was a tough spot for them week one. They'll be a team to, to monitor going forward here, but I'm glad you said both should be top 15 guys. Cause I, I was literally going to say, if you rank Aaron Jones as RB 13, Dylan should be RB 14. Like I would do the, the cop out, put him back to back with, yeah. with, with Jones as the slight edge. If I were doing weekly ranks. Well, and if you're an Aaron Jones owner um, or if you're me to feel a little vindicated, <laughs> um, all of AJ Dillon's targets came out of the backfield, which is like a no dub proposition, mm-hmm. but two of Aaron Jones targets came out when he lined up in the slot and when Aaron Jones lined up as a wide receiver, he was shadowed by Patrick Peterson 52% of his snaps, which is like insane that the Vikings were shadowing with their best corner on the running back for the Packers. And I do think that does play a part of it. Like the Vikings game plan was clearly don't let Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon win the game and make their rookies win them the game, which lost them the game. I think going forward, especially with Lazard, um, we can have a way more efficient outing from Aaron Jones and it's going to take the pressure off both him and AJ Dillon. Like that red zone carry AJ Dillon had the Vikings just sold out for the run because they knew there was nobody in that offense. They're going to target and they were going to throw the ball to in that red zone opportunity. The, the troubling thing for Jones just to project forward though, is not only the, the targets. I mean, if he's getting out targeted by Dillon on a weekly basis, which I don't think that'll happen, but if, if it's even a dead even split, I think AJ Dillon is like the no brainer goal line back at this point in, in most situations. So that, that wouldn't be a great look uh, 
for Aaron Jones and his value. But but yeah, I, I think there will be more efficient outings for Aaron Jones in the future. More big plays to be had. It's just definitely a situation that everybody should have on their radars at this point yeah. of the season, I think. Yeah, if there is an AJ Dillon owner out there who's like selling him as what he was drafted at, which on ESPN this morning I saw he was RB thirty three in ADP. <laughs> like you should probably be going after that. I would be trying to still buy low because it's not like AJ Dillon had a an amazing day if you just look at his raw stats. So yeah. definitely still a buy low if you think you can get your hands on him. I don't know. I, I do think he he finished as uh, like the RB ten or something. So. Even, oh wow! Never mind. It, it, it's just because of the touchdown, and, and he had uh, had the receptions to to back it up. But the actual like yardage totals and the yards per per touch, like the efficiency, was not good. I've got to say, last thing on this though, I'm just always impressed every time I watch Dylan how good he looks as a pass catcher for a guy his size. He he is what probably. Like I think he's a decent bit bigger than than Barkley, but he yeah. and Sa- he and Saquon are like the two guys that are just specimens, and also like wow, these guys can really catch the ball, and they look smooth running routes out of the backfield. Dylan's not in that category of Barkley, but just to even be the next category below that is pretty darn good. Yeah, well, just for size, he looks good. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last thing I'll say just about the Packers in general is if he's on your waivers, which he likely is. I really think you need to go after Robert Tunyon. He only played in 11 personnel. He only played 36% of the snaps, and he saw six targets in 36% of the snaps, and he's just coming back from that ACL injury. I really think that the Packers need him, and he's a good enough pass catcher that he's probably going to get a lot of work, and we know Aaron Rodgers trusts him. I think that he could be a late come on at the tight end position for a lot of teams. The Packers need anybody and everybody who who is able to produce, and – Boy, Dell Beckham music. <laughs> Speaking of of a team that needs anybody and everybody, although real quick, I'll say, uh, don't give up on Aaron Jones yet. Dark, dark Dan Dan. There's there, there's still plenty of good Aaron Jones days ahead. I think. Yeah, I think it, it, only better days come. That offense was at an all time low, and Aaron Jones still came out there and got you some points. Um, but speaking of a team that needs anybody and everybody, the Dallas Cowboys are the very definition of that right now. What an absolute tire fire that was for that team in week one and then insult or injury added to the insult rather is Dak Prescott is now out for an undetermined amount of time it was originally six to eight weeks now Jerry Jones is saying well maybe four weeks regardless Dak is out for a little while Cooper Rush who wasn't even on the active roster the Cowboys had to do like some tricky practice squad stuff to get him up as the second quarterback before the game the other day he's looking like the guy right now unless uh mike mccarthy acts on that list of quarterbacks he mentioned the other day maybe maybe jimmy garoppolo is a target but regardless of who the quarterback is for the next month or so we know it's not going to be dak is cd lamb the only must start cowboy until dak prescott returns dalton um i'm questioning if cd lamb is a must start if, if we're being completely honest, like I understand where you drafted him and you probably have to for a lot of reasons, but I don't want any of the Cowboys. I mean, the injury to the left tackle was really evident in how it hindered their game. Dalton Schultz just did Dalton Schultz things, which was like five yard out routes over and over again and got his points there, but he's never going to be a game breaker, especially with Cooper Rush at quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, Noah Brown 
for what he was worth, didn't look great. Jalen Tolbert, an inactive. You have, I, I mean, there's just nobody on this roster worth starting. Tony Pollard, for all of the offseason, he's going to play in the slot and be a wide receiver. Didn't happen. He also missed like two critical pass blocks, which you hate to see from a guy you're trying to get and, playing time. And that's why, even for as much as I'm on the side of Pollard being the more explosive player at this point, that is why Zeke plays more than Tony Pollard because because yeah. Zeke is still an excellent pass protector. And that's why you look on the other side of the field, learn Fournette plays so much because he can deplete Micah Parsons when Micah Parsons doesn't see him coming. Yeah. Well, and the problem with this team, and this is like a rough look, but without Dak, without Tyron Smith, you look like top to bottom on their roster and they might be the least, the most talent efficient team in the NFC East, which is really hard to do. I mean, them and the Cowboys are fighting for it. And I think or the Giants are fighting for it. And it's hard to look at them and believe. And you have Mike McCarthy calling plays and Jerry Jones basically demanding that his head coach give, you know, 15 to 18 carries to the ghost of Zeke. And so there's just nobody on this team that you can trust. I, if you have Zeke, I like it was a flex play because he has touchdown upside, but that pass blocking and that run blocking on that team is just, it's putrid. I mean, that this offense is going nowhere fast. Yep. And I'm with you on lamb. I, I think you have to start him for now because you, you, you just draft him in the second round. I know he just had a weird game there and just played. I, I know he is in a really tough spot in that teams can literally put like two or two guys on him and shade another guy toward him on every route, essentially, because there is nobody else that that is scaring you until Michael Gallup gets back on, on in that receiving room. But Lamb just did not look good the other night. I'm hoping that's just a one-off for him. Well, you- and I'm not ready to like put the nail in the coffin as CeeDee Lamb is an elite red receiver. But there are other guys who've performed with bad quarterback play and getting double coverage. I mean, A.J. Green, Hopkins are some obvious guys who were in very similar situations. And CeeDee Lamb just didn't – like, he got nine targets. He It wasn't like he wasn't on the field getting targeted. He was getting targets. He was dropping the pass. He wasn't getting enough separation. And, like, overall, he just looked defeated as a player. Like, he knew he wasn't doing what he was supposed to do. And it, it is a little concerning going forward that we did as a fantasy community elevate him in that like elite wide receiver status. And from what we saw in week one, I don't know if he really has it. I'm waiting for Matt Harmon to do a film breakdown of how he looked. <laughs> I don't have ever seen Matt Harmon be more upset about something than he was about the, the group of surrounding talent around CD lamb after, after week one, I think he called it a joke or a clown show or, yes. or something in, in, in his five things. Uh, it It's pretty bad. The, the thing with Zeke is he's going to have weeks where you're happy you started him as an RB2. But I, I know it's the Bucks and the Bucks are really good against the run, but he's the RB48 in week one. And I don't think I would have ever thought that Tony Pollard could be the RB59 and, and play over half of the snaps, but he pulled that off the other night. Um, they're not going to get held to three points every week, even with Cooper Rush at quarterback. So there is hope and upside for those guys, but it's a scary proposition. I think Pollard has got to be a bench until proven otherwise. And then Zeke, you probably roll him out there next week, but if it's another terrible showing by, by the whole team and by him, you're going to have to, to reassess. And then I'm with you. Dalton Schultz was the tight end 10 this week, which is fine, but that's, 
a lot with Dak and all on volume. And you're just basically hoping for an empty calories volume game from Dalton Schultz on a week to week basis to be, to be relevant, which were before with, with Dak, you're starting a pretty much no brainer every week. Yeah. And if you're, I mean, your bet right now is that Jason Peters comes off in street clothes next week, plays left tackle, and that offensive line returns to last year's offensive line. And that is the bet that you have to make if you are a Zeke owner or a CD owner. And then CD runs out of the slot entirely with Cooper Rush when Michael Gallup returns next week or in two weeks. I mean, those those are your best upside situations. And even then, I mean, these guys cap out at like running back 15 and wide receiver 20 at this point. Look, there's got to be something really wrong with Will Fuller physically, mentally, like just all – all around for him not to have gotten a call from this team at this point. Their receivers are so bad. Okay. On to another NFC East team. We have two Giants topics today. Pretty, pretty unbelievable, but they were kind of a polarizing team in week one. Brian Dabble. Saquon Barkley. Dalton, is this a top five running back going forward? You know what? Yeah, I think so. I agree with Uh, you. I agree with you. Let's go. Here's the thing. I was skeptical when Saquon reached back up into like the third round because it was almost like, what if, you know, he's not. But what happened was he got a competent offensive coach in Brian Dabble who who looked at that team and said, you're the best player by a mile. So we're going to use you like the best player. He led the team in targets. He looked like a step faster. I mean, legitimately, if you look at, Saquon Barkley two years ago and Saquon Barkley this year, he looks a lot the same before his injury. I think he's recovered from the ACL. He has a step on guys. That that run for the extra or the touchdown to tie the game where he got a face mask. Yeah. I mean, that was vintage Saquon. He had he had one where he ran down the left sideline and he was just smoking guys. And this is on a team like without a lot of pass catchers, with Daniel Jones at quarterback. I mean, I'm in love with it. I think he's a top five running back going forward. He is getting the targets on this team. I don't see how you don't start him every week and feel so comfortable about it. Yep. He, he played 83% of the team snaps, which was the most of any running back in the league this week. I think maybe Fournette would have topped that if you take out garbage time in that game. But regardless, I mean, he's he's the workhorse of all workhorses right now through one week, at least, in the NFL. You mentioned that big run and the explosiveness. He was clocked as the second fastest player in in the league this week on that run at 21.11 miles per hour, uh, tied with Joe Mixon on his run where he and he and Mika met up near the goal line. Would you believe the fastest player in week one was Chase Claypool on a 12-yard run? Isn't that That's weird? incredible that he got that fast? <laughs> Isn't that weird? That is Tw- incredible. 21.46 miles per hour on a 12-yard run. I was that like- one of the sweeps, though, where he probably had six yards? So it was like Yeah, it, he, yeah. Probably, he probably ran more like 30 yards, but I was still like, wow, on a 12-yard wow. run, this guy got to 21.5. Yeah, and I know we're not talking about him, but uh, our big slot predictions, I think Chase Claypool's an every week flex guy. but He could be if he gets five carries a game. That'll, that'll <laughs> yeah. help. That'll help. Uh, but everyone who's listened to the podcast from the beginning knows my feelings on Saquon. He was my number one ranked player ahead of Christian McCaffrey going into, I guess, the 2020 season. And it obviously didn't work out and didn't work out last year. And that's been mostly injuries and some situation. The situation 
is at least a little bit better. The offensive line still looked pretty bad the other day, but you would hope that as the season goes on, and you would hope with the Bengals that the same is true with them as well, that the group gels and and improves a little bit yeah. throughout the season. Well, and they did, I mean, despite what happened in the offseason to that Titans offensive or defensive line, it was still like the second best run blocking you or run defending unit last year. Mm-hmm. They are a very good defensively coached team. Um, and Saquon to do that behind the not the greatest offensive line means a lot. And for what it's worth, Daniel Jones looked like Brian Dabble was putting him in a situation to succeed, which was like short passes and just letting his guys get yak, which mm-hmm. I'm, I'm completely okay with, especially if you're a Giants fan and like hoping for positivity. It's uh, Brian Dabble said, we're going to keep the ball out of Daniel Jones' hands and give it to everybody else on this team. And it's not like the, the he, he had the big run, I think it was 68 yards. He was still 17 for 96 outside of that against a good rush defense. So he, he was just good all the way around. He had six catches, 30 yards. He was at about a 75% route participation. I mean, this is a guy that was either right below or right above 100 catches his rookie season. We know that he can catch the ball. We, we know that he can produce in the passing game. If he's getting this type of workload, I mean, the ceiling is back to the RB1 overall, mm-hmm. which is what I've been hoping I mean, for. In three years, years ago, it was you and me debating if Christian McCaffrey or Saquon Barkley was the RB1 for yep. what it's worth. You know? and, and as long as uh, McCaffrey bounces back a little bit from – a week one that was not his fault. I would say his team's fault. Um, it, we could very well be debating those two guys three years later as the top two, you know, top three, if you include Jonathan Taylor, which we should in that group uh, in the league this season. So, yeah, I'm excited. I'm I'm happy for Saquon and happy for all of us to get to watch Saquon because I think he's my favorite running back just to watch in the yeah, NFL. I he, agree. he just does – some alien crap. <laughs> he's just he's yeah, just he's just electric. He's just unbelievable for for a guy that size. Uh okay, Dalton James Robinson. Uh I felt like probably both of us but more so me, I was just a doubter at every step of the way this offseason. Like get, is he really going RB42 in the middle of July? Like I couldn't couldn't believe it. And then is he really going to play week 1? Look at how he's walking in this Twitter video. In, in training camp. Is this guy really even close to ready? And then he just goes out there, ho-hum, 11 carries, 66 yards, scores a touchdown, looked every bit the same as the old James Robinson, which, to be clear, he's not the most explosive player. He's kind of in that Chris Carson mold of bruising back, but he's still produced like he always does when he gets the chance. And that kind of brings us to this question. Do we believe that James Robinson is the running back that you want in Jacksonville going forward? And I believe it. I I say yes. The touches were 12 to 6, favoring Robinson to Travis Etienne. It was 13 to 8 in terms of opportunities, if you include targets. Etienne had a brutal drop that, that should have been a touchdown. And we would think of his week a lot differently if he catches that and slash or Trevor Lawrence hits him in the corner of the end zone for what should have been another touchdown earlier in the game. So brutal swing for, for ETN, but it just doesn't look like the Achilles injury matters to James Robinson at all. He, he just looks like the same guy 
And you would think at the snaps were 49, Robinson 51, ETN, which I, I don't have the full breakdown, but that would lead me to believe that they were never on the field at the same time, which if that's how they're going to play going forward, could be a problem for ETN because I, I, I think it common sense would tell you that week one, less than a year removed from the Achilles tear would be James Robinson's, like have a great chance to be Robinson's lowest snap percentage game. And he was already in a 50-50. And it could shift more to a 60-40. And my concern with ETN now is he's going to be a guy that might need those explosive plays to come through for you on a week-to-week basis. And I just don't know. He, I just don't know if he has that ability to do that consistently. And the offense that he's in, I'm not sure, is going to set him up for that on a week-to-week basis. Robinson is the safer play. And he's the guy I'd want going forward in this backfield. Crazy as that is to say after one week. Yeah, and I I agree entirely. I mean, it's it's hard to overreact to week one. You never should. But the thing is, this is a running back coming off an Achilles tear. His counterpart, who also is coming off an Achilles tear, Cam Akers, got three carries for zero yards. Mm -hmm. Um, And nuance does matter here, and I think that at least I didn't do my due diligence on the James Robinson injury. It was a partial Achilles tear. That's also what Sterling Shepard had. I don't know. He also had a really good return. He had a really explosive 67 yard run. Well, and, and, and to be fair for, uh, to Cam Akers, we just don't know yet if he yeah. is being eased back in because he's been dealing with the soft tissue stuff all training camp. Yeah. So that that could be a factor, or it might not be. We, we just don't know at this point yet. Yeah, and I agree with that as well. Uh, but I don't think this is like a normal – it's just not – I wrote it off as an Achilles tear. It's a partial – it changed the rehab process for it. Probably led to – it did lead to him being undervalued all offseason. Uh, but I agree with you entirely. I think in a lot of ways ETN probably put himself in the coach's dog's house. Like it's hard to call that one touchdown pass a drop even because he had it in his hands and he, he spiked the ball. <laughs> yeah. And it's – it's so frustrating for a team with a losing culture like Jacksonville to have a game so winnable in their hands and to watch like one of their players throw it away. And then to watch James Robinson come in and get two of their three touchdowns. And there were a lot of miscues on that team. Um, not from Trevor Lawrence, in my opinion, I thought Trevor Lawrence looked great in a lot of ways as a total yep. side. Out, out, outside of the, the one ball he yeah. flowed over ETN in, in the core of the end zone. I, I thought yeah. Lawrence looked well good. and even there I don't know if you've listened to Matt Waldman this week yet but Matt Waldman talked about that play and if he rewatched the whole play and then I went back and found the all 22 of it uh ETN beats his guy and slows down and I think Trevor Lawrence wanted him just to go to the back of the end zone on a normal wheel route which was the play and I'm not going to go into that and say that ETN ran the incorrect route but it just looked like him and ETN were not in sync, which is part of the narrative for drafting ETN was, you know, he played with this guy in college yep. and they were together. And then James Robinson comes in, catches a passing touchdown, runs more effectively, runs like he was running a year ago um, and doesn't have Urban Meyer just pulling him randomly. So <laughs> I really like James Robinson. He's probably like a consensus top 16 back week in, week out, in my opinion, especially with the way some backfields were unfolded this week. Um so, I'd, yeah. I'd, I'd rather start him than Zeke the next month. I can tell you oh, that for absolutely. sure. Absolutely. I'd rather start him than whoever's in San Francisco, whoever's in Los Angeles for the Rams. I mean, you know, there's some Careful. scary situations out there. Careful. Jordan Mason Hive is coming for you. Oh, Jordan Mason Hive is coming. <laughs> okay. We're we're in agreement on, on Robinson. We've been in agreement on all of these. I feel like 
this is where we might divert, but we'll see. So Clyde Edwards-Alaire had two receiving touchdowns on Sunday. I'd have to go back and look, but I'd have to imagine he's never done that in a game before. I did go back and look, and his three receptions are tied for the most he had in any game last season, and he only topped that number four times as a rookie. So we have some positive indicators for CEH, but Dalton, are you ready to start or to trust him as an every week fantasy starter? I, I really want to say yes. I do. And I've been number one CH truther. Uh, I, have a, I think I had him as RB1 two years ago for a little <laughs> while. So, like, I've been there. Uh, no. Uh, and it's because it, what I've said all offseason. I was really hoping you were going to say yes. I just can't yet. Um, Jarek McKinnon is there. And, like, Jarek McKinnon is actually really good. If you watch the, the plays Jarek McKinnon had, him and CH were pretty similar. The difference was CH got two touchdowns, if you look at their fantasy stat lines. But Jarek McKinnon was run out of the backfield. He was an effective runner. Um, if you were a CH owner and you drafted him where he was like RB26, you were already getting a screaming value because he's being utilized effectively this time. He's being run out wide. He's getting those passing snaps, which you really want. And the Chiefs are running more 12 personnel, which just gives him more uh, lanes in that gap runs. My concern, and I, I think Patrick Mahomes was telling us the truth when he said this, was that this offense is going to be different every week and who they yep. give the ball to other than Travis Kelsey. And CH is going to be one of those guys who you're probably going to have like some like, you know, two catches for 20 yards and 10 carries for 50. And I mean, that's not a good fantasy performance. Well, he, he had seven carries for 42 yards. Now I know the plug was put on him before the fourth quarter. <laughs> and that's a point that I wanted to make in this conversation if you didn't watch the game and you're just doing like snap percentage hunting this week, you, you can't pay attention to the Chiefs backfield because CH was like at 39%. I think McKinnon was right around there, but CH was the pure starter. McKinnon was the pure third down back. Pacheco played maybe three snaps in the first half and then played the whole fourth quarter. Yeah. I mean, Pacheco looked good. Like mm -hmm. he did. Uh, but he, I don't think he's worth roster spot in a redraft league. He's a pure handcuff, and I think McKinnon gets the work before him if CEH goes down. Uh, and, I mean, this game was such a blowout. I mean, it was probably the most lopsided game entire week one. And oh, I'm not yeah. saying that as a Chiefs fan. Like, yeah, it was, game, it was 37 to 7 or 30 to 7, whatever it was at one point. It, it was yeah. over midway through the third quarter. It was over early in the third quarter. Yeah, I mean, even at the end of the second, it just didn't look good for the Cardinals. Mm -hmm. And... I, I do think it's hard to surmise a lot coming out of this. Like Juju Smith-Schuster like, might have had a really big day if they played a full competitive yeah. game with the way he was getting targeted. I think um, he had five receptions their first three drives, and then they yeah. basically didn't need him after that. Well, yeah, and Sky Moore's snap percentage went up very quickly in the second and third because I think they just wanted to see what they had. Mm -hmm. um, you have the Chiefs running like – the weirdest plays to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire where they make the linebacker come across the line of scrimmage for a touchdown to him. Like, those things aren't, in my opinion, something you're going to see teams do every week against the Chiefs. So I'm just not ready to make any judgment calls on this for fantasy because the Cardinals, won were the first team ever to blitz Patrick Mahomes in, like, three years. Um, <laughs> and that went terribly for them. And, two, the game was just so out of hand that Kansas City was just playing backyard football with them towards the end of the game. Yep. And, and, and that was my point too. I'm, I'm at a no, just because I, I, I want to see it for a couple more weeks. I want to see a couple more good games, 
and good usage from CEH. And, you know, the Chiefs only faced eight third downs the whole game. And I don't have the number if you take out garbage time, but my guess is it was more like six. And McKinn's the third down back and was still playing not as much as CEH, but he was probably, I don't know, what would you say, 65, 35? Yeah, and, and I think he and, is and, worth a roster spot. And if they're in a more competitive game script, maybe it's more like 60-40 between those two with McKinnon maybe getting some more targets. Uh, I, I will say, just as something to watch, I don't know if this will ever develop, but the moment we see either McKinnon or CEH or both start to get the Kareem Hunt and Damian Williams route tree mainly, can we get either of these guys starting to run that seam route out of the backfield that used to work so well for both of those guys? If either one of them starts doing that, I, I think it will change how I, how I view them for fantasy because that that's just been such a home run play for, for running backs, uh, for, yeah. for, for Kareem Hunt and for Damian Williams early in the Mahomes era. Well, that seam route – Week one rookie season for Cream Hunt, he scored a touchdown on that seam route against the Patriots. I remember yeah. that game with Alex Smith. He, yeah, if we can have guys running that, and I mean, you're, you're right. If they start running a route like that, then you want them in fantasy. We have a question here. Uh, should I trade Debo and Waddle or St. Brown for Swift? Really saw that wide receiver and need big help at running back. First of all, yes, I would try and trade for DeAndre Swift. I I don't think I, I think you'd have to trade Waddle and St. Brown and get back Swift and something else. You could maybe pull off Debo straight up. And honestly, Waddle is kind of a sell high right now after week one. Because in, in redraft, I'm assuming this is redraft we're talking about here. Because it was Tyree Kill first, second, and third option. And I don't think Waddle got a target until he busted that long play for a touchdown late in, in the first half. It was a concerning start. Now, it would it feel bad to to sell Waddle and have him blow up? Maybe. But if you're getting DeAndre Swift back, I feel pretty darn good about who you're getting back if you can combine Waddle with Somebody else doesn't have to be St. Brown, but just a second piece to get that deal done. I would definitely do it. Yeah. Um, I would be all about trading for Swift. Uh, he's one injury to Jamal Williams away from being like an every down back. He ran the best by a mile. He was PFF's highest graded running back in week one. He was the sole reason the Lions got into the red zone twice on a 30 and a 45 yard run. He was involved in the pass game and he's going to be playing behind an upgraded offensive line they were missing two starters and they still blocked really well i am in concert with heaven if you're trading anybody um oh i would definitely trade for him if your running backs are hunt and cpat yep. um and, I would and, and, and maybe you could do waddle and cordell patterson and you don't upgrade your depth but you obviously upgrade your high-end talent extremely with bringing in Swift at running back. Yeah, and I don't know if you agree with this, Evan, but I don't really hate trading like Debo and, I mean, Waddle for Swift and another piece. I think Debo is another guy that's not going to perform just watching that offense out of the 49ers. It's hard to draw any conclusions from it, but I'm a little skeptical of all of it. So I wouldn't even mind trading. I think Swift has a better way of winning you leagues than Debo would this year. I agree. You would obviously need to get – 
a big second piece back. So it's mm-hmm. really it's hard to just blanket statement say that without knowing what the other guy's roster looks like. Just make sure if you're trading both of those guys, you get Swift plus another pretty high end fantasy starter, like a guy that's a locked and loaded starter every week. Yeah. Should I go ask for another piece or just Swift? Again, I I just think it really it depends on that on that guy's team construction and and what he needs to do, but he needs help at wide receiver. I, I then maybe you could try and double up um, St. Brown and Waddle and and see what that can do for you. Yeah, and I'm, I I would probably even do Waddle and St. Brown just for Swift if yeah. you want to take that. I like that for you in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Me too. Okay, Michael Thomas. Now, if this isn't where we disagree, we may not disagree the entire show. Believe it or not, Dalton, Michael Thomas off of a five for 57 and two touchdown performance should be a locked and loaded starter until further notice. I liked what I saw. <laughs> he played well. Only wide receiver with two touchdowns on the week for what it's worth. Yep. Some some people told you to sit him. I don't know who those people are. <laughs> uh, never met him, never heard of him. But here, here are my concerns. Uh, first of all, I do just want to point this out. Chris Olave was a stud. At one point, he put AJ Terrell in the spin cycle in the end zone. Uh, so, yeah, Jameis, for- can we look his way maybe more than yeah. three times from a Absolutely. Chris Olave fantasy manager, please? Good I Lord. want to call Michael Thomas a set it and forget it. And I do think Michael Thomas is back to like 70, 80% of himself. Um, my concern is that this offense is putrid. Like it took three quarters for them to come out and score on a very bad Atlanta Falcons team. Like, I still don't think this is a good team. The only player doing anything for them was Grady Jarrett. And Jameis Winston had a negative EPA for three quarters until they got to this point. And I don't think Dennis Allen is doing a good job at coaching up this offense. And that is my bigger concern now Um, for a team that I picked as a dark horse playoff. They really, really sucked. At being good offensively. Yes. Like, I mean, it is hard to not just go up there and score points in Atlanta. It's a dome game. Well, we know what dome games are. Didn't I'd have to go back and look at the stats, but just gonna just gonna guess on this because what's the harm? I think they had negative two yards passing at halftime. I think that I think it was net passing, but yes. It, I mean, I that is my bigger concern at this point, is that I think if they play a competent team that does a better job at shadowing Michael Thomas now that he might be who he is that Dennis Allen is not going to have an effective game plan and that Jameis Winston, who is now turning into like late career Drew Brees with his like dunking, dunking it down the field instead of taking any shots, that this offense might just suck. And now Alvin Kamara is injured and I don't know who they're going to run a running back. The ghost of Latavius Murray is in the practice squad. I'm very concerned. Uh, Taysom Hill uh, for the win in there. Um, I believe it. I'm not ready to, to say that you should rank him where he finished last week, which was wide receiver eight. I'm not going to say he's a top 12 receiver, but I think he's a top 20 set it and forget it right now. I mean, even more encouraging than the stat line is he just looked good. He looked like Michael Thomas to me, quick release off the line of scrimmage. He was getting open with ease and it finally came to fruition late in the game. And it wasn't like, he was piling up these stats as in garbage time. He basically single-handedly brought them back in the game by getting open and giving terrible Jameis a place to throw to um, late in that game. Now, I will say, 
just looking at that team, uh, I would sell Jarvis Landry off of the week he just had. That will probably be his best week of the season, over 100 receiving yards. But the other stuff from Michael Thomas is encouraging. Remember, he was dealing with the hamstring clear up until game day, and probably still is. But he was an 83% route participation. I think it was the snap share was a little bit lower than that, but he was out there for most of the passing plays. 26% target share. Like, that's what you want out of a number yeah. one receiver. And then he he had it in week one. I think he's top 20 for now. And I think we could revisit this in three weeks as long as the Saints aren't terrible and Thomas is healthy and say, yeah, Michael Thomas is a top 12 receiver through a month and this might be able to continue. Yeah, uh, and Tom Pelissero, who said that he was only going to see 20 to 30% of the snaps and I took him out of my DraftKings lineup <laughs> because of that. Uh, you need to reevaluate who you're listening to. Um, well, we just nobody ever knows no. the, the answer to that kind of stuff, even if they hear it from a good source, because it that stuff just changes. Like, they're like Chris Goblin was on pace to play like 85% of the snaps before he pulled his hamstring in the third quarter, which perhaps that's why he pulled his hamstring. Maybe he should not have been doing that, but regardless, he was playing, he looked pretty good until he, until he got hurt, and we didn't even know if he was going to play much less if he was going to play more than like 10 snaps so nobody ever knows the answers to, to those questions yeah okay this is a pretty sad one Kadarius tony i would say a favorite of of both of ours just from a pure talent perspective from a pure entertainment perspective to watch every time he touches the ball it was bad last week and when i say bad i mean 12 percent of his team snaps bad zero targets bad he had two carries for 23 yards and thank god he got those because he wasn't even a thought in the passing game dalton would you look to sell tony just off of the name value and the hope that kind of goes along with that just being a young and talented receiver, like are, are you looking to get off the sinking ship or are you hanging tight? Well, for one, uh, 25% of my underdog rosters have Canary's Tony. <laughs> and for anybody unfamiliar with that, you can't change your lineups. So he is there to stay. Um, but I don't think you're going to pull a fast one over on anybody with Canary's Tony. And like I said earlier, Saquon is the best player by a mile on this Giants team. Wondell Robinson got a knee injury. We don't know the severity of it. He didn't return. He was going to play out of the slot. They are in need of help. The thing is, and this goes back to last year, Kadarius Tony definitely has some off-the-field problems. I don't know what they are. Yeah, very- I mean, we got the full Kadarius Tony experience where, at, where the beat reporters are tweeting during the game that he's off by himself. Like they're, they're, Yeah, he's literally sitting on the bench alone. And, the, and he was not playing. Uh, so there were things happening even during the game where it's like, boy, like this is like all of the bad stuff you hear about Tony just all blowing up in our faces in week one. Yeah, but I do like Brian Dabble's coach. I, like I said earlier, I think he's a really good coach. I think this is one of those opportunities where he was, you know, you're, you're sitting the whole game, you're going to learn a lesson, and I hope that this coaching staff brings him in, talks to him, because he truly, I mean, you watched him on the end around. It was literally like he's playing – flag football the way people can't tackle him. Yeah. And I think 
if he starts to get like even 40 to 50% of the wide receiver snaps, he catches two passes and you can, you know, take two, he, like that Randy Moss line where it's like three 185 for two touchdowns. <laughs> he has that like after the catch ability in his hands and he has a coach who can do that. Um, so I'm not selling him because of one, I don't know who's going to bite on that. And two, I, I trust this coaching staff enough not to just doghouse him the entire season and to utilize his skill set. Um, the other positive is Darius Slayton was a healthy scratch. I that does show me that like at least if you're going pecking order, Tony is above Slayton on it right now, and they have a similar enough skill set that he can work his way in. I just hope that this is like a learning opportunity for young jock. <laughs> Anytime you get a young jock reference, and uh, it, it's always a good time. So I'm with you that I'm still holding and I'm not going to lie. It would be tempting if I could get much of anything to just sell, but I don't think you probably can. So I think you're probably just standing at the top of the Titanic as it's sinking into the ocean and just hoping to God there's a lifeboat that, that you could hop onto at, at some point with, with this. Um, Let's play a fun game. Well, I, go, go I ahead, have Josh go Palmer. Okay. Would you trade Canaries Tony for Josh Palmer straight up? <sighs> this is a fun one for me. Well, and this go- I was going to ask you, maybe the better question is, are we looking to buy Kadarius Tony at all? So this is a good... For cheap, a, I would, yeah. A, a good conversation. It has to- I don't think I'm trading Palmer for Kadarius Tony right now. Well, I wouldn't, but that's that's me being uh, addicted to Josh Palmer. Yes. But, like, I would trade, like, I mean, a J.D. McKissick for a Kadarius Tony if that team needs help at running back or... I mean, a Kenyon Drake for Kadarius Tony. Like these trades, I think you could get by with making Dalton Schultz for Kadarius Tony, depending on what you're looking at tight end. I might consider if you, especially if you can get another asset back, just because I'm very low on what Schultz is going to look like the rest of the season. Those are, I mean, I would do things like that. I would definitely be looking to trade for him, but you just have to know that like the floor is is the basement when it comes yeah to i mean outcomes. yeah i mean the floor is he's off your team in two weeks so don't don't give up anything of of significance for him as yeah, long exactly. as you're trading an end of the bench guy i think it's fine i think i'd still i i'd be nervous trading dalton schultz unless you're getting back another tight end that you feel like you can start because that is still a startable player for tony who I mean, he barely played more snaps than you and I last week. It was like yeah. 10 snaps. <laughs> Dalton Schultz for Kyle Pitts and Kadarius Tony. <laughs> Send it. Send it. Uh, okay. Last guy, Dalton. Last guy. Antonio Gibson. Kind of quietly had a pretty awesome day. Are you looking to sell high on Antonio Gibson and his top 12 RB finish in week one? Yes. Uh, <laughs> I say no. So good. Big disagreement oh, go. to end the show. First and foremost, I would put a lot of money that Carson Wentz doesn't throw for four touchdowns the rest of the season in any game. Um, secondly, and we talked about this a little bit on the waiver show. I am really not going to put a lot of faith in what a team does against Jacksonville's defense. It's still not good. It is very bad. It is missing a lot of pieces. Um, and Antonio Gibson just did what Antonio Gibson does, which is he got a lot of volume when Robinson is back. I'm yet but, again, but he got volume in the passing game, which he never does, which he never I know. does. 
but and we're going to get into that because I'm, I'm happy to talk about it. But his splits with him and McKissick were still pretty even. Mm-hmm. He just had a few routes that he got hit on. Um, and he leaked out and the, the catches were there. I just I don't want to invest in Washington, first of all. I think that when Brad Robinson comes back, it's going to be more annoying. Curtis Samuel is doing stuff out of the backfield, which is going to annoy you as well. I'm pretty low on J.D. McKissick, too, with just the way that they're they're running so many people in that backfield and doing so much with them that I, I think it's going to be really hard to pinpoint it. And Gibson got a lot of his work on the ground, and I still think that Robinson is going to usurp him when he comes back, which could be in three weeks at this point. See, that you might be right on that, but I, I just – I think we have like literally no way of knowing that because we have no idea what Robinson is going to look like. We have no idea. I mean, clearly the the gunshot injury wasn't serious enough to where he's going to miss more than maybe a month, maybe more. Maybe it takes another week or two after that initial five week window to come back. Not, not really sure. He's, he's going to play this year. It appears. So it's at least not serious enough for that to be an issue, but we we just don't, we just don't know what the player is going to look like coming back off of that. So I just don't think it's a lock that we get this committee with Brian Robinson. If Gibson is able to put together is if he's able to stack a couple of good weeks on top of each other, because I mean, he was legitimately good. He had more than 50 yards rushing, which was fine. Not great. But then he goes seven for 72 in the passing game. Those numbers, along with eight targets, are all career highs for him. So I am not counting on that again. But I think the issue with Gibson as a sell high right now is even with the uncertainty of what Robinson is going to look like when he comes back, after the offseason we've had with Gibson, is anybody really going to jump in and be like, yep, I'm paying even not top 12, but even top 15, top 18 running back value for this guy. I'm all in after one week. I just, I don't know if you're going to be able to find that value. And then you, you kind of run into the problem of, well, Gibson is going to be a lot more valuable on your team potentially for the next month than what you get back for him in a trade. And while you would prefer him to be great, at the end of the season, these games still matter too. You still get in the playoffs by winning games right now too, and he can help you do that. So I'm a little bit torn, but I think I'm I'm holding for now and will be more open to selling in maybe week three if we get two more good Gibson games and Robinson is looming. People will know Robinson is looming, but I think just more good performances, more trust from the coaching staff might – help the value that you can get even if he doesn't play as well as he did this week well and part of my concern is i don't think the coaching staff for the eagles wants to see 41 pass attempts out of carson Wentz. Um, the the commanders yeah sorry the commanders um and then next week they go up against the lions um they're not favored in that game and then the week following they go up against the eagles who they're not favored against and then they're going to play the Cowboys. Uh, that line is not available right now for obvious reasons. <laughs> um, but those two games, I do need to see Gibson in a game where they're down. And I think they will be down by a lot in both those games. Um, in, and both see, of, in, in both of what games? Which two? Lions and the Eagles. 
I'm not sure if they won't be against the Lions. The Eagles, it could happen. It's at the Lions, but you could be right. I'm not going to like pencil that one in as a a sure thing. But if they're down in those games, I do want to see Gibson. And then it just does depend on where you drafted him. Like if you drafted early when he was at that 3-4 turn before all the Brian Robinson news, you probably don't have a choice. Like you have to keep him because the investment you put in him, you're still not going to get a return on. But if you were one of those people who were drafting like, you know, August 28th and you got him around eight where he was going. I do think there's a, like a really good shot that you don't need him on your team. He's not a starter. It's probably a bit of a headache for the other two running backs you drafted unless they got hurt. And then, then you have a really good chance at selling him now and building out a really sufficient roster. What I wouldn't want to do unless you need him is to hold until Brian Robinson gets back and see what that looks like. Cause it could get really messy. Yeah, unless he unless you hold him past this week, which I'm obviously saying I, I would prefer to do, and he just keeps playing better and better, and yeah. obviously we'll adjust how we feel based on how he plays the next few weeks. But now, if it's the true Antonio Gibson experience, he will be dead next week. Like, <laughs> it's just how he works, and he'll have a, another plate in the shin by week five. Uh, hopefully, that does not happen. But that's been oh, the, that's been the experience so far. Um, yeah, I, I just think back to what I said earlier, though. I just really think it comes down to you said if you took him closer to that RB30 range and you don't need him, well, then you could just make the argument that he is probably really helping your team right now if that's where you took him and you can potentially get a top, let's just say, 18 running back for the next couple of weeks. And it's just what is more valuable? Can you Can you get – a return that is worth not having that guy on your roster to help you win the games. And that's going to be a a league to league thing, obviously, but I would just err on the side of keeping him right now. But I obviously see the argument to selling him. The dude just had a career best receiving game and they were ahead almost the whole game. They weren't facing a lot of uh, negative game script and a lot of, long distance like third and long type of plays where mckissick is is going to be the guy and then they get stuck in in hurry up and mckissick ends up scoring the one yard touchdown because there's never a sub there is that there wasn't any of that there's going to be that's going to happen at some point but so i see the argument i just think i'm holding on for right now yeah well the other thing i'll say um and it is a fun little experience but how many times do you think the washington commanders will produce five fantasy relevant players on a week-to-week basis, <laughs> which they did. Curtis Samuel, Terry McLaurin, John Dotson, Carson Wentz, and Gibson were all very relevant. Well, and, just, and, and then Logan Thomas, who yeah. his, 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 I mean, he didn't do much. He was fine, like four fantasy points, but you'd expect better days are ahead for him as he gets further away from the ACL injury. It wasn't even, a, he, he was probably not going to play in week one and then he played. So yeah, yeah there are a, a lot of guys who, are probably going to score some fantasy points, and it's almost definitely never going to happen in the same week like it did this week. So there yeah. is also that. Um, I, I'm just, I'm also just not high on the Washington Commanders' offense, um, which is my other concern. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's a incredibly hot take, <laughs> bold thing to to say that you're not high on the Commanders' offense. Dalton, anything else before we jump out of here and and get ready for week two? Uh, week two Thursday night football is my Josh Palmer vindication game. So I'm ready for it. I'm ready for Josh Palmer to arrive on the scene and say, I told everybody so. And if he doesn't, I didn't say anything. <laughs> if you're, and if you're watching this live, uh, we have a waiver wire video on the YouTube channel right now. Josh Palmer is in that list, just perhaps not as high as you might expect 
in said list. So go check that out. And thank you guys so much for listening to us on episode 82 of the Half Point Per Podcast. Give us a follow on the Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Half Point Per Pod. Subscribe to the YouTube channel, the link for all of those things, and the show notes, as always. And we'll be back next week uh, recapping week two and once again looking at the most important fantasy football storylines. Thank you guys so much for listening.